Okay, it's two minutes past eight and we are live. I'm going to give it a couple of moments just to make sure that we are actually live. Um, tonight we are also streaming to the running community on Facebook to their page with their 12,000 odd members. So that's fantastic. Um, so as always, I always try and make sure that the content of the show is suitable for runners as well as therapists, um, because it's important that we talk the common language. Um, so if you hear me dumbing things down a little bit, it's sounding a bit patronizing then. So um, I'm just going to wait until somebody actually uses the comments. Um, when you leave a comment for those who are new, then I can bring it up onto the screen and your name appears wonderfully. Um, and then I can get rid of it. Um, ben O'Neill is waiting downstairs in the lobby patiently. I can hear him. I'm going to bring him up very, very soon. Um, but first of all, I just need to say um, a shout out for our sponsors, um, the Brighton Beard Company, who are sponsors us from well, pretty much episode eight. So um, as always, if you are of a hirsute nature, and you're looking for something to smell good and look good, maybe something to buy him um, for a birthday or whatever's coming up, then yeah, do go to the brightonbeardcompany.co.uk and you can use the discount code um, RCL15. That's RCL15 and that will give you a 15% discount on any of their products at the brightonbeardcompany.co.uk, home of some of the best smelling essences for beard care that you will find in the world there you go job done um so welcome people from the running community i'm just oh i've got some messages coming up here fantastic matt scarsbrook is in the house hi matt thanks for joining us kelly hooks is here hi chris kitson is here fantastic there's lots of people in here so bear in mind people you're welcome to bring questions anytime both myself and when Benno is up here, he'll be able to see the comments once I bring him up to the live stream. So he may well spot an interesting question and tell me to keep quiet because he wants to answer that. So feel free um, to bring things up as and when you wish in the comments section, as you can see. Keith's here as well from the Sports Therapy Association chat we had on Tuesday, which was fantastic. Thank you, Keith, good to see you here. So there we go. Um, Welcome everybody. Um, also, just a shout out to Manuela Bessomi. Last week, um, was it last week or two weeks ago? The last One Chat Live episode we did was in Spanish. Porque yo hablo español, fíjate. Um, so um, because the conference is going to be with simultaneous translation into Spanish, I thought, well, it's only kind to uh, put out some One Chat Live episodes in Spanish. So if you do want to practice your Spanish or indeed your Spanish speaking, then do go along to youtube.com uh, forward slash C forward slash one chat live. And you will see a fantastic chat I had with um, the lovely Manuela Besomi, um, who for her doctorate in Queensland, she's from Chile. Uh, she's doing a study on the IT band uh, or the beat, as it's called in Spanish. Um, and we had a fantastic conversation about putting the evidence back into um, assessment and treatment of the IT band, um, ITB syndrome. So that is on YouTube for your listening and viewing pleasure. And of course on podcasts as well, if you prefer the audio, you can watch it all on, or you can listen to it all on podcasts. But tonight, 
a little bit starstruck i'm not gonna lie it's like the first time i had a guest here on one chat live um i hope i haven't overdone it in the adverts i've given him i've called him godfather of running biomechanics i've basically bigged him up because it is a big thing um anybody who is aware of the work that dr benonik has done over the last 35 40 45 years will realize why i'm feeling a little few butterflies in my stomach he really is um, the biggest contributor to running research, particularly footwear, surfaces, biomechanics over the last, well, since it began. We've only really been looking into running research um, since the 80s when it all started, and he was pretty much there from the beginning. So we're very excited to have him here in a guest, and it really is an honor and a pleasure to be able to ask him some questions. Um, use the hour to ask him questions as well. I've got my crib sheet here. We're going to be going through in particular what makes the modern breed of shoe um, so successful because evidently as we'll talk about it has been successful the various prototypes and specialist shoes but we'll also see because we're going to talk to the person who was working with these kind of shoes or some of the elements in the shoe back in the 90s as we will hear um, so it is a great opportunity to um, ask uh, where it all came from so that said and done without further ado i shall give him his countdown and bring up with much pleasure Dr. Benno Nig. Dr. Benno Nig, can you hear me? Hello. Fantastic. Out of the basement. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry I left you down there for so long, but I do hope that my chaperone has <laughs> looked after you. Thank you so much for joining me, first of all. I can't say thank you enough. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's an absolute honor and a pleasure. Um, what you're in Calgary at the moment. So what time have you got where you are? What time is it? It's now 10 minutes after one o'clock ah, in right. the afternoon. Okay. So in the UK, we are eight o'clock in the evening. Um, and anybody else in the other countries, if people out there if you are from other countries and listening then do feel free to say hello it's always nice to see an international element in these chats um so dr nig what shall i call you dr nig dr benno nig dr b what do you think what would be suitable whatever you like benno is fine benno we'll go with benno then for the moment um so we're going to go for people who aren't aware of you and i have to remember that some people aren't aware of you not everyone in the world knows you um, and I have to remind myself that because anybody who works in running research assumes that everyone knows you um, so we're going to talk a little bit about your beginnings if that's okay and I'd like to start with a fact which I actually only found out the other day um, it doesn't surprise me but originally you were studying nuclear physics is that correct that's correct I studied nuclear physics in the at the ETH in Zurich, and uh, that was in the late 60s, which uh, were especially reactor physics was very popular, and I went into that field. However, when I finished that field, the only thing I knew that I wanted to get out of that field. What was so it that I, made you want to leave? I thought it was a dead end. And as a matter of fact, if you look at the last six years, it was a dead end. And how did you move from that into 
into running. Were you running at that time? Was it always a passion or interest of yours, or how did that work? I out? was a I was a track and field athlete, and I was in some of the university teams at the ETH Zurich. And from there, I knew the professor of biomechanics, Dr. Wartenweiler. And uh, after I was teaching in a college for about four or five years, I decided that I wanted to change. And right at that time, Professor Wartenweiler called me and said, wouldn't you be interested in biomechanics? And I said, what is biomechanics? <laughs> Because at that time, biomechanics was a completely new field. Brilliant. And he said, you know, it's right you, it's, it's physics and sports. So you should, you should come and work with me. So it sounded good and I, I went into biomechanics by accident. I think that sums up. I don't know if there's anybody else who could claim that they were around before biomechanics even existed as a word. Um, that's quite incredible. So that took you. Um, how did you end up? Because the most famous stuff which you've produced has been obviously from the Human Performance Laboratory um, at the University of Calgary. How did you end up there? That was again a kind of a, a funny story because when I was about nine years in Zurich and I was the head of that, uh, Professor Bartenmeier died and I became the head of the biomechanics laboratory at the ETH in Zurich. I got a phone call from Calgary where the dean of the faculty called me and asked me whether I would be interested in coming to Calgary. And again, I asked the question, where is Calgary? Because, you know, I mean, from Switzerland at that time, Calgary was not that famous. And uh, anyway, we came to Calgary and, and you, you know, you don't go from one of the top universities in the world to the University of Calgary. You don't do that. However, what they wanted to do seemed to me so fantastic that my wife and I decided to accept the offer. And here we are. And here you are. Now you've put Calgary and biomechanics on the map, as it were. Fantastic. Um, I'm just going to have to let a few people in the house just, I think they just want their name to appear across an image of you. So I'm just going to bring up a few comments on here from people who are, who are saying hello. Christopher Johnson, who's, um, um, I can't presume that you know these people because they're kind of like so young compared to your experience. But Christopher Johnson's a fantastic physical therapist and uh, running coach and he's got a fantastic website um, and uh, in the USA. And uh, he's asking what happened to my beard. Yeah, I'm sorry about that, Christopher. Um, I had a moment. You'll have it as you will have it as well. Yours is looking fearsome at the moment, Chris. Uh, yeah, I had, a, I had a chin. It was shorter, my friend. I'm sorry about that. Um, who else have we got? Oscar Farley is saying hello. I'm just going to flick through the comments a little bit because I do like people to have their 15 seconds of fame. It's nice. Uh, Dawn Shallow is in Eastbourne saying hello. That's in the UK, just along the road to me. Matt Scarsbrook has already got a question for you. I'm going to come back to that, Matt. I just want um, people to uh, have a chance to have their names come up here in the comments. 
Um, Sarah Jones is joining now. Simon Spooner, there's a name that I imagine you are familiar with, um, Benno. Spooner. Yeah. There you go. Spooner has. Uh, well, I think Spooner. I think tonight is Spooner's curry night. I think I remember him telling me that. So he seems to have given up his curry for you, Benno. How do you feel? Is that an honour? Spooner would normally be having his curry tonight, but he's decided to come here and listen to you instead. Big honour. Thank you, Simon, for joining us. So, Benno, let me go on to the next question I've got here. I've got so many questions here. Um, again, to give people an idea of how long you've been in the business, you've won quite a lot of pretty notable awards and recognitions in your time over the years. Is there one particular award or recognition which sits proud either physically on your mantelpiece or in your heart? Yeah, I think the, the Maybridge Medal of the International Society of Fire Mechanics is one that I like very much. Uh, it is a Lifetime Achievement Award and uh, I got that about uh, seven, eight years ago. So the kind of recognizing that I did a good job. Fantastic. What do they give you after they've given you a lifetime achievement? Because you're still producing papers. What's the next thing after a lifetime achievement? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> a still going achievement. I don't know. You know, I like what I do and uh, that's that's the, the best present. That's that's wonderful to hear. And I think that shows that shows definitely. OK, well, there's a lot of other people who also like what you do, Benno. And what I'd like to do, I asked a few of my colleagues um, for because you've done so many research papers, uncountable. I've asked my colleagues to choose just a few of their favorite research papers of yours. Um, and they emailed me back. Some of the names I think will be familiar to you. So if it's OK with you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring up some of these research papers. And maybe if you remember something about the paper, if it stands out for you, you might not remember it, you've done so many. And then maybe you feel free to give a comment. I'm going to put it on full screen so I can actually see it with my eyes. Um, this, uh, was, this, was yeah, sent in, this was sent in by Greg Lehman, um, who I'm not sure whether whose work you are aware of or not, but um, definitely been championing a lot of things since the 90s, particularly on the pain and movement. I'm also a keen runner um, and his paper, he says, this was a big one for me. 20 years ago, we all should have been questioning pronation. And yet people finally woke up to it five years ago. So he has highlighted your the role of impact forces and foot pronation, a new paradigm, which was 2001. I believe it's gone here. Um, does it feel like 19 years since you started casting doubts on the idea of over pronation? Yeah, it started a little bit earlier, but uh, that was the first paper that I published on that topic. And uh, it was kind of a, a, br a breaking with the conventional idea that impacts are dangerous and produce injuries and that pronation is dangerous and produces injuries. And, you know, when I published that, there was basically no reaction in the whole running community and in the whole footwear community and it took an, another 15 years till they started to bite but that's that's normal in research you know you say something and then uh, people say oh that's wrong 
And the second step is that they say it's uh, not wrong, it's right, but it's not important. And uh, the third step is it's right and it's important and somebody else said it. That's the typical way how it goes. Leibniz said that from uh, from research work. Mm. We've we've mentioned that the time it takes for a paper to actually reach the clinic many times on OneChat Live, but it's an absolute delight to be with somebody who published a paper 17 years ago and are actually here to talk about it 17 years later. Um, how does it make you actually feel? Have you got used to that fact? Or does it still annoy you when people are suddenly going on about something that you were talking about maybe 20 years ago, for example, over pronation? Do you accept it as part of life or does it still is it still a bit frustrating? I accept it as part of science. You know, uh, a lot of people say many things and some of things are right and some things are wrong. And, uh, you know, in, in my situation, it's not different. I have said certain things that were right and certain things that were wrong. But in my whole work, I basically try to come up with new ways of thinking. And that paper is basically the beginning of that new way of thinking where, where I say it's not impact. It's not pronation, it's something else. Mm. Yeah, and that and, whole idea. And, you know, uh, that of, of course, I mean, the, uh, many orthotists or podiatrists have basically bought into pronation. Many shoe companies have bought into pronation and it was kind of a good selling point. You have the camera, he looks at pronation and said, you know, you are a pronator, therefore you that this is the shoe for you. It was kind of a, a nice and easy situation. And here is somebody coming and telling them it's not the right thing. I think the message. It depends where you look and where you read, but I know that major shoe companies have started removing the overpronation word from their websites. Not all of them. Some of them have still got things like the wet footprint test and things like that, but it's starting to change. And the reason why I love streaming this to the running community as well is because by keeping in contact with them, I know what the runner is thinking. And there's often a big difference between what runners believe and what therapists are reading. The message doesn't get down. So runners from the community, when you see myself or other people saying, it's not all about how you pronate, everyone pronates, everyone supernates. This is, this is why we're saying it, it's not us, it's from people like Dr. Ben and Nick who have been putting these ideas forward for a long, 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 long time. Um, and this is why following the evidence and following the research is so important. And we can't totally operate according to the evidence because we don't know a lot of things. But the expression I love and the one I'm using more and more these days is what we try and do is we try and be less wrong with what we recommend. Do you like that expression, Dr. Benenig? Does that make yeah, sense? That, that's, that's, a, that's a good approach. It's nice, isn't it? We don't know the answers, but we move away from what's not right we get towards there so i like that a lot um so that was greg layman thanks greg for sending that in um i've got about five of these because they just cover nicely um your years of contributions let's put this this was from simon spooner um i asked him his reply was 
this one and that's all he had to say but um he commented on that the paper which most affected him was the effect of shoe insert construction of course it was from podiatrist simon um on foot and leg movement which uh, was 98 so we're still going back quite a few years do you remember that particular paper and the impact it had yeah yeah i do and and there a series of paper that dealt with the same question and the question was basically if you give a certain intervention, let's say a shoe insert to a group of people, these people, these runners react differently to that intervention. Uh, as an example, you know, you take a medial support or a lateral support. That medial support produces in some of the runners a reduction of the loading in the knee joint in some runners no effect on the loading and in some runners an increase in the loading of the knee joint and you don't know why so you have to look at every single subject to see whether that intervention works so if you give an orthotic if you give an insert check what you do and make sure that you the effect that you wanted to achieve has been achieved mm -hmm. but it is it's unbelievable you know the differences are not five percent or ten percent in some cases the load just doubled at the knee joint mm. <coughs> so even... that was of course a that was a, a very surprising result and it's it's a result that goes through everything you know you do an intervention with the shoe whatever it is making softer making harder making stiffer making less stiff whatever you do you make an intervention you have some of people that respond in one way and other people that respond in a different way yeah i think years later so it was in, in it was a very important paper that years later craig payne who um i know you've have you met craig oh he's a great yeah. guy yeah well, there you go his classic comment which came years later obviously but talking about running shoes he would say different running shoes affect different runners in different ways at different times you know it's all very relative on the individual um and that's again a message for I'm, I'm not picking on the running community but the running community are my way yeah, when, of was that when was that paper published this was 99 i think was or 97 let me bring it up on big screen again uh april 98 sorry that was uh it's got as the date here yeah, yeah that was that was still in the last century yeah and, uh, we had these results where we basically said you know you have an effect but if if you just calculate the mean value of a group of people you would say no change mm. or a little change in one or the other direction. If you look at every individual case, you see a completely different picture. And we said that already in 898. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems incredible. And again, these days for the last five years or so, we've taken it as not obvious, but we understand now that the kinetics, i.e. the change in forces, are probably more significant or they can happen without any kinematic change. So 
But back then, I suppose you were all looking at the kinematic changes you were looking at because that's what you measured as a biomechanist or something. Um, it's only now, thanks to your kind of work, that we realise now it's the kinetics, which is probably the biggest factor. And that's what that explains maybe why the differences between individuals. Um, kinetics wasn't, was it really considered that much in like before 2020? Was it something, uh, sorry, in, in 1998? Was it something you were looking at, or were you really focused? Oh, yeah, on we we were looking at we are looking at the loading in the joints, hmm. and we published that. And that's what made you move a little bit away from the kinematics. Yeah, no, it, it, you know, the kinematics are a first indicator, but they are not the indicator. The indicator are the internal loading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just to explain that to the runners, like in the running community, when we say kinematics, we're talking about things which probably somebody shows you on a video when you have a gait analysis. Because when somebody's impressing you with flashy lights and data, they have to show you something which you can see. Um, unfortunately, it's not that easy to show some somebody a change in the forces. And you can have a change in force without a change in kinematics. And until now, the whole of the foot paradigm in it in recommending shoes has been look at the way your foot moves look at the change in movement look how far it dips look how little it dips it's all very much what we call kinematics and that's why the whole idea of categorizing people according to arch drop is yeah, old you know the, the idea that a lot of people clinical people especially have is that you should align the skeleton hmm you want to have nice lines and stuff like that. Now, I have a story which just shows that that's not a good idea. I had a knee problem. I had knee arthritis. And I had surgery and had uh, an Oxford knee, which is half a knee, which is kind of a, uh, a knee prosthesis that goes over the old knee. And I had that done. And while doing that, the orthopedic surgeon said, why don't we realign your leg? Because you walk a little bit to the outside. Now, at the same time, he did some pictures, some x-rays of the hip. And both hips were good. It was just that right knee that was not good. Mm -hmm. And so he readjusted. Four years later, my right hip joint, that was the side that he had adjusted, was completely gone. No cartilage anymore. So a realignment doesn't mean always an improvement. Definitely. And, and you know, you can have a lot of pronation and no problems whatsoever. As a matter of fact, if you have that and you are comfortable with it, I would think that's the right way to move. So don't realign if you don't need to have to do that. Definitely. And realignment yes. is basically the kinematics, you know. Mm. Yeah, we call it different names like structuralism. It's it's chasing symmetry, isn't it? Because we presume symmetry is avoids pain. But like you've said, in nature, there's plenty of examples of people who are asymmetrical and they're in no pain at all. And they're symmetrical people who are suffering a lot of pain. So it's it doesn't make sense. 
if yeah. you have pain that's an indicator that something is wrong mm. if you don't have pain that may be an indicator that things are not wrong mm. yeah it's a fascinating area and it's amazing coming from somebody who was saying this 20 years ago i don't think i could have made it uh, anyway thanks to you people are still talking about it today and it's getting heard um let's have another look at a different paper who have we got else who i what talked to okay well here we go this was um trevor Pryor. um he came up with he a lot of podiatrists said it's impossible to choose just one um so trevor has got three here he's got the role of impact forces and foot pronation a new paradigm you know i i like that you you sent me that and uh, i like that very much because uh that guy has a good hand for important things mm. congratulations trevor <laughs> have you met trevor have uh, you? I'm sure the role of impact force and foot pronation that's the same thing you know yeah just a little bit differently presented mm -hmm. the last one the effect of isolated ankle strengthening and functional balance training on strength running mechanics and so on this is one of the ideas that i think is very important but nobody has really picked that up nobody except trevor the idea is that we have small muscles crossing the ankle joint if these small muscles are strong it's like a building that is tall and is very strong in the foundation it's very stable which means that if you have strong ankle joint muscles you should have a lot of positive effects because of that with respect to balance with respect to injury prevention and with respect to many other things and uh, we have some initial data that support that very strongly however there is more work needed in that area and i hope that some people will work on that but the idea is strong muscles crossing the ankle joint are positive with respect to injury reduction as a matter of fact if you give me something with plantar fasciitis in most cases i can get rid of that plantar fasciitis by just strengthening the small muscles crossing the ankle joint mm -hmm. so he was right on to choose that paper i like that very much good old trevor and of say. course the third the third paper that he has which is a teeter-totter effect which is something which i think we will try to understand better and uh, will that will have an effect on spiritual construction dramatically the results that we had you know i was working with a girl from salomon that has developed a dynamic finite element model of a leg where you can change everything the muscles the tendons the ligaments the geometry you, you you can do whatever you want to do you can change the shoe you can put some plates in whatever we were able when optimizing the whole thing to get a difference of about six percent compared to a normal running shoe and all based on that teeter-totter effect amazing 
So, uh, Tre Trevor, good selection. Well done, Trevor. And I'm proud to say he's one of the speakers at this year's One Chat Live conference. So, um, I pick him well. Um, we'll talk about the teeter totter later on um, in a bit more detail. Um, there's so many papers we choose. This was, um, let's bring this up. This was from Dr. Courtney Connolly uh, from Gate Happens. Um, and she brought up uh, the effects of arch height of the foot on angular motion of the lower extremities in running. Uh, and she also went for the pronation of foot movement. So the top one there, the effects of arch height of the foot on angular motion of the lower extremities. That was from 93. I think that was one of the earliest ones that people sent in. Yeah, you know, the idea was that when if you have a high arch, you have a, a higher coupling between the rear foot and the tibia and therefore you have more movement at the knee internal or external rotation of the tibia and that may be associated with injuries mm -hmm. now we were not able to show that with that paper but we had some indication that a stiff or a soft ankle joint have an effect on the coupling. But the, the second one, the second paper is the one that we, that comes into the, the newest work that we do and we are working very intensively on that. You know, if you look at the whole literature, what people have done is basically they have looked at what comes from the calcaneus to the tibia and we have realized that this is not the way to go this was pronation and uh, you know we know what what we think about pronation so we said you know the foot must be important but maybe we can control some of what the foot does from the front by expecting something from the front you'd start even doing different things at the, the rear and uh, that is basically the opening for a new way of looking at foot coupling transfer of movement from one segment to another one influence of movement from the forefoot onto the whole movement of the leg and that's that paper and i think that is a new opening of how we should look at movement of the foot and corresponding coupling of the segments of the foot and the leg mm -hmm. do you think with maybe obviously we've got the internet now and maybe it's a snowball effect. Do you think that, for example, the knock-on effect from a paper, that paper was 2019, is it going to be another 15, 17 years before it reaches clinics? Or do you think that is going to yeah, be that depends time when, now? when the girl that works on that project is going to, to graduate. But I don't let her to stay for 19 years. Yeah. So uh, I think that we should have some results uh in about two years or so mm -hmm. where we look at uh, basically present what we have found 
that connection between the different elements of the foot onto the movement of the tibia and the femur. Mm-hmm. And I myself, I don't have that much time anyway. Well, we never know. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I hope we can get another 45 years out of you. Um, how many people do you have working now down at the uh, Human Performance Laboratory? How many people are working there? Pardon me? How many people do you have in the team now down at Calgary? The Human Performance Lab has about 200 people. And uh, my group has about 12 people at the moment. Right. And it's all different departments now. I was quite excited to hear that as we've learned more, there's more departments like this kind of biopsychosocial departments, psychology departments and all these things expanding. Is that a good thing? Do you think, are you happy there's 200 people now or do you think it's too many? Yeah, you, you know, when I moved from Zurich to to Calgary, one thing that I wanted to have different than in Zurich was that I didn't want to do just biomechanics. That the question of human movement are not biomechanical questions, and they are not physiological questions, and they are not psychological questions. They are a combination of all those things. Mm-hmm. So the idea was to have a lab that would look at all these things together. And if you have a question that is, you think at the moment, biomechanical and you cannot solve it biomechanically, then go back a step and say, what else could be a reason? And maybe the solution is in the physiology or a combination of mechanics and physiology. Mm -hmm. And all these people are in the room. You see them every day. You say hello to them every day. So you just go do them, have a coffee, and basically try to solve the problem. Fantastic. Is that your phone? You feel free to go. <laughs> oh, I can relax. I've got a break now. Do you want to take it if you want to? No, you okay? Um, yeah, fantastic. I mean, we talk about the benefits as clinicians of being in a multidisciplinary team because you can talk to each other and a different professional will look at it a certain way, an osteopath or a chiropractor or a sports therapist or a physio. So the idea of having a multidisciplinary team of 200 to help meet in the corridor and say oh, i've got this case i'm working on do you think it could be is fantastic um it's it's yeah obviously it works for you with the amount of papers you managed to put out there do you know we have about 30 people that work on muscle amazing out of these 200 mm. on every level macroscopic to microscopic yeah down to the smallest element mm. quite incredible so if Let's you have do... a problem with muscles, you go to these people and say, hey, is that right what I do? Can yeah. you help me? That's brilliant. As opposed to having professional competition where it's one discipline fighting with the other saying, I'm the best, everything is biomechanics. And the other saying, no, it's not. Everything is something else. It's nice to hear different parts getting on to make one smooth machine rather than into disputes. Let's bring up Tom yeah, Goodman. Oh, go on, please. You, you know, I don't think competition is the right model. Cooperation is the right model. Mm. Well, I always... And like, multidisciplinary cooperation. I like your idea of having trying to prove or getting a hypothesis and then doing everything you can to test that. 
I remember reading something somewhere that for you, you prefer just testing and trying everything and seeing what comes out. And I can see how that makes sense. Don't try and chase one thing you're already looking to see. Let's look at everything and pull the pieces and just see what appears. I think that's um, that could be a really healthy way of doing things. Tom Goom, um, who is very well known in this part of the world and internationally, um, chose this paper. He said, da, 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 this was a game changer for me, says Tom. Uh, running shoes and running injuries, myth busting and a uh, proposal of two new paradigms. So this is the preferred movement path and the comfort filter, which clinicians in particular will probably be familiar with. Um, yeah, can you briefly fill in people about those two paradigms and what um, impact they had? Yeah, you know, the, around the, the turn of the century, we had these papers, impact forces and pronation. You know, and we basically said it's not the right thing. And the question is then, what is it then? Can we suggest something else? And this paper basically suggests some solutions. You know, the impact, we don't say it's not important. We say it is important but for a different reason. Hmm. And the reason is that when you land, that you have vibrations in your body. Your soft tissue wobbles and you don't like that. And we want to get rid of these vibrations by tuning the system, tuning our muscles and tuning the whole system that the input doesn't produce high vibrations. That's the concept what impact does. Mm -hmm. And uh, we worked in this concept together with Simon Barthold mm -hmm. when he was at Salomon and we produced a few shoes that had quite good results. And there are two aspects there. The one aspect is a comfort aspect. You know, if you have your, your soft tissue wobbling, that doesn't seem to be comfortable. And the other aspect could be that it has, is related to injuries mm -hmm. and maybe even related to performance. We don't know that. The second aspect, pronation, you know, the interesting thing is that if you give a person five different shoes and you measure the kinematics, so you measure the pronation and the pressure, all these things that we have measured. The differences between these shoes are very small. So we suggested that is because we have a preferred movement path. You know, a movement path that is energetically optimal for our movement. We want to stay in that movement path and we want to stay in the movement path to have good performance and have less injuries. So we say we are in a preferred movement path. We have a preferred movement path. We should build the shoes or select the shoes so that they are basically facilitating that preferred movement path. Mm -hmm. So the paper is basically the next step from the impact is not important pronation is not important, 
to what should we look at, what is important. Yeah, there are a couple of very exciting paradigms, which if you're a clinician, if you haven't come across them, then there's, there's information to read about there um, for a long time to help get your head around what could be happening. We know what's not happening. What do we what, what do we think could be happening? Um, you mentioned Simon. Let me just get rid of that. We'll let Simon have the last say for the research ones, because I know you've shared many a glass of red wine in the conversation with Simon. Um, let me... Simon, he being a podiatrist, he had to produce three as well. So he brought, he said it was very difficult and he felt embarrassed just choosing three of the many which you've produced over time. But he took it down to uh, the effect of material characteristics of shoe soles on muscle activa activation and energy aspects during running. Um, he also mentioned the relationship between footwear comfort, comfort was an interesting one, very topical, and the variability of running kinematics. And then also, the pronation of foot movement. So the first one, um, which was the last one, is the same that we had before. Exactly. Yeah. What about the, the first, first one? one? The first one, you know, one of the things we always thought was that there should be a connection between muscle activity during running and energy expenditure. And uh, we that that paper tried to go into that direction. We were only partially successful. I, I think that's still a field where we we have to do some work. The, the idea is basically that you have local energy demands and global energy demands. Mm -hmm. So if you measure oxygen consumption, that's a global energy demand. If you measure activity of the soleus, that's a local energy demand. And the connection between these two is not very clear at the moment. Mm -hmm. So it's a, an important question. It's not a solved question. Mm -hmm. And the second one was? Uh, the relationship between oh, yeah. uh, comfort. You know, you know, I mean, if you ask me how to select the shoe, my answer is the only thing that is a good indicator is comfort. Mm. And we have some studies that we have done where we have shown that comfort was the best indicator for injury prevention. Now, that was not in running. That was in walking and military training. But it was a, a, a very strong result. So in other words, comfort seems to be one of the most important variables that we have in our research to explain injury and performance. Mm -hmm. And comfort seems to be at the moment the only thing that you have when you select a running shoe. Yeah, we've mentioned that a few times on here. It's a very... It's it's a hard one to sell, isn't it, to runners in the high street? You imagine walking to a shop and someone saying, you know, shop one has got a flashy treadmill with lights and they're selling your shoe based on the way your foot moves on the camera. And shop two is just saying, are they comfortable? That's the one for you. You can imagine in the high street, the runner is going to go running to the flashy treadmill analysis. But in actual fact, if we're looking for science-based uh, suggestions, it really is comfort is stronger, isn't it, than half the stuff they're showing in these other shops? It's a tricky one. It's yeah, not a great can, business model. 
you can turn it around. Never buy a shoe or never use an orthotic that is not comfortable. Mm. Yeah, which is important because some runners probably put up with it because they were told by a professional that's the one for you. Yeah. And they think, well, they must know what they're talking about. You know, they were wearing a white coat. So, yeah, it's an important one. Okay, right, look at that. 8.50 already. That's 50 minutes just on research um, papers. But what I love about going through that, and I believe it was worthwhile, it shows the journey. One research paper by itself means little, but it's the accumulation. It's the it's the journey from one idea to the next, to the next, to the next, which is so beautiful, which we can track even just by looking at these papers. Um, it's an incredible thing. It really is a lifetime's work, isn't it, to get to the, to the, to not even to the bottom, but to get further ahead in these things. Let's move on because we are talking about shoes tonight, in particular the modern breed of shoe. Let's get rid of that, which for most people kind of started off. Um, well, it started off with this man, didn't it? Really, that's when the public started opening their eyes, thanks to a lot of flash of pink there, um, and that eventually turned into the obviously the two hour um, being beaten. Um, you mentioned the 6% just now, um, and obviously the research which was quoted quite a lot back then supporting the 4% and the whole names of the shoes being given 4% um, was Cram's study in that. Why do you think, and this is an interesting question I really wanna ask you, why is it you and your team are producing 6% and yet the Nike, kind of backed research team are producing four percent do you think they're missing a trick or did they stumble upon this combination of the winning shoe or what's going on yeah i i don't know what's going on in nike you know they don't tell me whether they have tried to optimize that for each runner or whether they have just built the same shoe for every runner mm -hmm. whether they have tried to optimize you know the one of the yeah uh, you don't see that that well huh? yes no, i can see that that's right. fine yeah, yeah can you I see can, both of them i can do this look hold on let me do this for you there we go it's just you on the screen go for it yeah that's right you know your shoe is something like that Mm -hmm. So let's say your left-hand side is the heel. And then during ground contact, you move with your point of application from the heel towards the mid of the foot. And as soon as it moves over, you get the teeter-totter effect. Mm -hmm okay now it is obvious that if you change that point here you move it more towards the left or towards the right yeah. you will change the mechanical situation i can see that which is the basis and of your teeter-totter Paper, the yeah? other effect will be more or will be less. Mm -hmm. That means just by changing that fulcrum, you will have a different other effect. 
Now, I don't know whether they played around with that in the development of the shoe. Maybe they did, maybe they did not. I don't know that. I think they didn't. Because when we started to play around with that, we got results. Mm -hmm. And you know, the results were that we did that in our model, the finite element nodal that dynamically could determine an improvement. And we got 6% and we thought, oh, that's too, too much. And then Salomon did a project with some actual runners in two different shoes, one without a titter effect and one with that optimized titter effect. And they got a change in the best time of 6%. Now, these are not published data, but I mean, for us, they are as strong as published data. So that means if you individualize your result, you may get even more than 6%. Yeah, that's quite incredible. So it's, it's a whole possible development which opens the doors for more performance, better performance. So in this paper, yeah, no, amazing. And also the important thing is, because there's a lot of misconceptions about what the carbon fiber plate does. Some people think it's a spring when really, as you've explained, it's more about the physics. But you're, you're kind of minimizing, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> You're minimizing the effect of the foam as well, aren't you? You don't think that played such a big part as some other people suggest in the success of these kind of new breed of shoes? Say that again, I didn't get it. So in your paper, you also suggest that the actual foam element, the new type of foam which they've used, plays a smaller part in reality to these gains, these performance gains. You think the majority of it clearly comes from the carbon fiber plate as opposed to the foam and the thickness yeah you, you know the the cram group they claim that the major improvement of performance is because of the increased mass and the increased deformation and they claim that something like a storage and return of energy is the reason for that. Now, I have, first of all, they have no experimental data where they did that for more or less deformation. They don't have. They only claim that because they say it's not in the bending of the plate. It must be this. Mm. Now, I have problems with that because from a functional point of view, when you land, you deform the shoe. You deform the heel of the shoe or the mid part of the shoe. That deformation produces a return that is relatively quickly. And that energy is returned too early at the heel, while the heel doesn't want to get off the ground yet with the wrong frequency, it's only a very short time that you have that. Mm -hmm. That's not how you return energy. I mean, McMahon, when he did the Harvard track, the tuned track, that was basically 
using that return of energy. But the frequency of the tune track was about between one and two hertz. The frequency of the material that deforms and gives energy back is about around 12 hertz. Mm -hmm. So functionally, it is not possible that you can use the shoe deformation as a return of energy source. And we have done many different projects where we have changed the material properties of the heel and, and I don't know what. And we had only in the maximum about close, not, 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 not even 1%. In all of our measurements. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. What do you think? I mean, I don't you know. know let, let's let's stay with that. Yeah. That that high material. What that high material does, it lifts the heel. That means you ha can have a better angle here, this angle. Mm -hmm. So if you have a less material, that angle is less. Mm -hmm. So what that material does, it allows you to have a plate that is more bent. And more bend means you can apply a better titter-totter effect. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to bring this diagram up for people who haven't quite the more visual people in here. So here, we, well, people, the paper is free access, isn't it? People can read it themselves. But essentially, we're talking about yeah, the effect of the plate um, causing the force to move down anteriorly. And then that causes the heel to lift up, in effect, improving the propulsion and therefore the economy. But it seems a fantastically simple concept and explanation of what's going on how did it come to you how did it appear was it did you wake up in the morning and suddenly go eureka or was it a process you were working on for a long period of time <laughs> i think it was a discussion with lee sisler the, the developer of that finite element model where we had that idea mm -hmm. so it's a she's the mother and i'm the father mm -hmm. <laughs> Very nice. Does it not? I don't think it scares you, but obviously there was a lot of fuss about. Well, there has been serious regulations put in place by World Athletics as to the uh, permitted thickness, and um, they've let a lot of it go. But there has been a shoe has to have been um, in public use for four months or something before it's used by the athlete. Do you think there should be restrictions put in place or do you think the technology has always supported sport and you just make it an open field and people can wear what they want? What would you do if you Yeah, you know, there, there, there are two, two different schools. One says, you know, you shouldn't do that and the other one says you should do that. Mm -hmm. The rowers, for instance, they are strict. You know, they had a one situation where a guy moved the outriggers instead of the seat mm -hmm. and by doing that they had less relative movement and by doing that they won about 10 percent in performance and the guy that had that won everything it, it didn't take him long it didn't take only a few, few weeks and they 
forbid that. Mm. So they are they are very strict in that. But you can you can say you know it's technology. Let's let's do that. The thing that you cannot do is that you make a decision not based on the knowledge, but based on kind of gut feeling. Mm. I mean, those people that make those decisions should understand clearly what the situation is and say, you know, this could happen. Uh, I mean, this could be the future of the whole technology. Do we want that or don't we want that? I think that's the important point. Mm. Well, if your theories of 6% take fruit and this is the future issue, there's going to be probably even more um, debates and arguments about what gets allowed and what doesn't get allowed. Um, yeah, fascinating. Um, you know, the, the, the bicycle is a good example. The bicycles that they use now compared to the bicycles they used 30 years ago are different. Mm -hmm. Should we allow that or not? It's very true. I think we see now, there are new bicycles out there, the e-bikes. Should we allow the e-bikes? Now, the titter-totter effect is a little bit like the e-bikes. Should we allow that? Mm -hmm. Very interesting. We're, it's been a night, it's been an hour. Um, this could easily be two hours. I just want to mention um, that the, yeah, you produced a book in 2010, which is still available. Um, let me, I've got a picture of here somewhere. There it is. So yeah, this was back in 2010, which in, in some fields makes it sounds like it's old, but it's only in the last year that things have changed so drastically. So I'm imagining in this book, which you produced, The Biomechanics of Sports Shoes, an awful lot of the information you've been talking about is, is in that book anyway, isn't it still? It's only the latest year, which might be missing, but is that fair to say? Is there, is there a lot of information in that book? There's a lot of information in that book. Everything except the titter-totter effect is in there. Yeah, yeah. And that's um, still available. Um, it's actually cheaper than I thought it was going to be, considering the, the, the era it covers. The good thing about Canadian dollars, it says here 89.99 Canadian dollars. They're better than US that's dollars. Canadian dollars, that's a good yeah. thing. So for UK, that's <laughs> to about 59 pounds instead but, of like, I mean, that's but good you know, just, send, just send me an email and uh, we organize that. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure what shipping is, but for people who aren't aware of that, I mean, that's got to be, I was speaking to Simon Bartold and it's still a Bible of a book that anybody claiming to be interested in uh, biomechanics of sports shoes is, yeah, should definitely be one sitting on, on the bookcase and have a good look through. How many pages, 300 pages? Oh delightful um so yeah i just thought i'd highlight that uh, people can't get on amazon do they? they need to go to your biomechanic which i think is brilliant play on words um is that the only place they can get it from yeah yeah okay so we'll make sure that that link is put in um, i love what you did there was that your idea was it biomechanic was that yours or some that's, a, that's the correct that's the correct spelling you're joking that's the correct spelling of biomechanic no, but this is a pun, isn't it? Putting nig at the end of it. The GG. Say again? They have, the Webster has now changed. Oh, Biomechanic is, is, is now, the, the right, correct spelling is N-I-G-G. -G. 
Oh yeah, that's what it's got here. Yeah, yeah. But that's a play on words. Oh, I see. Oh, you're suggesting that the actual biomechanics is going to be changed to biomechanic. Um, no, I think that was a brilliant idea. I had to double take, but no, fantastic. So that website gives a, a link to the book. Um, so people who are interested, who have missed that, then that's worth having a look at. Um, yeah, I'm definitely getting myself a copy. That slipped by somehow. Right, well, um, Dr. Nick, I'm going to call you now as it's getting um, late in the evening now. Thank you so much for the hour you've given up. I know you're a busy man. Um, I'm just going to have a little look in the comments in case anyone here wants to say anything um, regarding you. So now's your chance to put some love in there, people. Um, oh, Trevor Pryor, actually. Trevor, you turned up late. Um, yes, it will be on YouTube as always and as a podcast. Trevor, you are in Dr. Ben O'Nig's good books. He liked your choice of papers. I think you've won, actually. You beat Bartold. Um, so, yeah, uh, Dr. Ben O'Nig was very pleased, Trevor, with the papers which you took notice of, which I brought up earlier on. So, well done on that, mate. Um, yeah, I liked Chris... him very much. <laughs> um, let me get rid of those names so it's not hiding your face. Let's get rid of that. One, two, there we go. Uh, Chris Kitson talks of vibrations, certainly reminds me of Simon Bartold. Yes, Simon talked about vibrations a lot last year at the Run Chat Live conference. Um, he was kind of alluding to stuff because of the work he'd done with Solomon. So uh, that was, uh, yeah, that was very interesting. Uh, Martin Howe, who I was talking to today at college. Uh, Simon, oh, again, a lot of love for Simon. Uh, fantastic at the Run Chat Live conference. Um, yeah, Simon was great. Um, let's have a little scroll down here now. Da, 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 da. There's a lot of comments in there. I'm sorry I haven't been bringing them up tonight, but I was just listening to what uh, Benno was having to say. There are a lot of questions. What I might do is I'm going to email some of these questions to uh, to Dr. Nig, and in his own time, maybe he'll send me some answers and I'll add them. There's a lot of questions there for you, Benno. Are you doing anything important next week? Benno, have you got an empty diary for next week? Pardon me? Do you have an empty diary for next week? I've got a lot of questions I've got to send you. You mean at the same time? No, no, no. I mean, I'll email you. I've got a lot of questions in the comments section. No, I. that's that's no problem. I, I answer emails. Is that okay? Wonderful. Well, I'm going to have a few to, uh, to send to you anyway. Um, so, yes, in good hands. That's really interesting. Uh, Matt Scarsbrook was very happy as well. Pedro Atcha says, great stuff from Benno. I love a biomechanics chat. Yeah, biomechanics. Excellent word. Um Oh, Trevor, we'll let Trevor have the final word because um, he was flavor of the of the chat. Ask Benno about using center of pressure to assess ride. OK, well, there's the last question of the evening, Benno. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. OK, well, I'm asking you, Benno, tell me about using a center of pressure to assess ride. Yeah, you know, ride is something that is used in the in the runner's world quite often and the uh, ride is difficult to define so we put a definition up and it was basically the smoothness of how the center of pressure moves from the back to the front so you want to have basically the whole thing smoothly from back to the front and uh, you basically determine the velocity of that movement of the center of pressure. And we did that and uh, the initial measurements were quite good, the correlation between ride that subjectively people said the shoe has 
and ride that was measured in that method was quite good. It's a work in progress. It's not okay. finished yet. Right. We'll but it seems to be it seems to be something that that may you know comfort ride may be connected and uh, seems to be very promising. Okay, so this is food for thought for developing on shoe selection and prescribing shoes rather than just comfort. We might be able to get a little bit more technical yeah. with it. Okay, well, we'll watch this space then. Thanks, Trevor, for a great question. Thank you for that. Right. Um, next week's guest, I believe you know. Let's bring him up there. Guillaume. I'm sorry about my Guillaume Millet. Um, he worked with you for a while at the uh, Performance Lab as well. Yeah. Uh... Guillaume was uh, for a while here in Calgary. Exactly. And uh, he did excellent work. He's, well, he's, also a good he's a good runner too. Slightly, slightly. He likes but a bit not, of distance. Not, not short distances. I no, was a sprinter, no. you know. My, my, my distance was 100 meters. Right. This is a, a multiple of that. So you saying that you could have taken him at 100 meters at your best? Oh, in 100 meters, he wouldn't have had a chance. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. And he knows it as well. Well, he's going to be with us next week talking about his favourite subject, neuromuscular fatigue, which I believe he led a research uh, team, didn't he, in Calgary. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he, I'm very excited to have him along. I just thought I'd mention that because uh, he's a former colleague of yours in Calgary. He's back in France now, isn't he? So, Right. Um, Berno, thank you so much. I'm going to send you down to the lobby very briefly. Help yourself to peanuts and beer again. And um, I'm just going to say goodbye to the people up here. And then I'll come down to the lobby and say goodbye to you officially. Thank you. I enjoyed okay? it. Oh, it's wonderful. And again, on behalf of myself and anybody who's ever shown an interest in running or running biomechanics, thank you for the last um, 40 odd years. And here's to another 40. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, I feel quite emotional. A bit of dust. There we go. Well, Fantastic. Everything I thought it was going to be and more. Uh, pretty immense. Um, I'm so sorry. I could see the comments flashing um, to my right, but I just didn't want to interrupt uh, the flow. It's so nice hearing it from the horse's mouth, which is a horrible expression, but that's basically what we were doing. Um, yeah, amazing. Really, really good. Like I say, those of you who did type questions, I will send them to Benno. And um, when he answers, I'll put them back in this comment feed or do a blog or post or something on it. So please don't think you've asked a question which will go unanswered. No question goes unanswered on One Shot Live. I will get them to you. Um, just before I go back down and say goodbye to Ben, I will make a mention um, of One Shot Live conference. Obviously, you mentioned Trevor Pryor. He's going to be talking at the conference. Uh, Simon was last year, so he's not back this year. Um, but Tom Goom will be speaking at the conference as well. Uh, Nick Knight is going to be speaking at the conference, as well as Matt Fitzgerald, Ben Cormack, Emma Brockwell, Claire Minshill. Do I need to go on? Are you sold already? And for the first time as well, it's going to be um, with simultaneous translation into Spanish. So there'll be two Zoom feeds. It's all online this year. Um, so I'm very excited. It's kind of a weight off my shoulders. I really wanted a physical conference in Brighton again. But as you've probably seen from my announcements, it just can't be. One, the demand wasn't there. And two, my technicians in Chile and in, and, and in England were just saying, really? You want seven speakers in, in the hall and then three from the United States and give the illusion of they're all on the set? It was a headache. So it's actually a weight on my shoulders. But I do apologize to people who are looking forward to seeing it physically. I was I wanted to be there as well. I love seeing you guys all together and speakers mixing. Just can't be. But like I said in my post, there's a lot of people suffering a lot more than 
because of COVID-19, they just can't get together for a conference. So all physical tickets have been transferred to virtual tickets and I've sent out emails. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry it can't happen in real, but the virtual will be fantastic. I promise you I'm working at ways to make it feel as live as possible. Um, there'll be chats in between presentations. There'll be a communal lunch where people can chip in. Um, we'll be talking about what our favorite coffee is. I've got lots of ideas, quite coffee based. Um, and the Brighton Beard Company obviously will be involved as well. Um, in commemoration of having the chance to speak with Benno tonight, I have made a promotional code, um, Benno25. Okay, it's gone up to 25% discount to make it different. There's a few 20% out there for organizations who I work with. This is a 24 hour chance, so it will run out tomorrow night, UK time, um, uh, before midnight. Um, it's a chance to put in the code Benno25 and you'll get 25% off your virtual ticket. But just to remind you, it's only for 24 hours from now. So if you're umming and ahhing about going to the conference or thinking, oh, I'll do it later on, now's your chance to get 25% off. Boof. If you're watching the recording, sorry, you should have given up your time to come and listen to Ben and Nick. Sorry about that. If you listen to the podcast as well. Um, I couldn't do that. If you're listening to the podcast um, or you're watching this on YouTube as a recording, then you won't get the Benno 25. Sorry, you have to join us live next time. Uh, but you will get, if you put in Benno 10, you'll get a 10% discount. Uh, so Benno 10 will get you a 10% discount if you're watching the recording. There we go. Right, that's it, people. Uh, thank you so much. It just uh, one more time, uh, thank you again to Benno and Nick for joining us. And for all you uh, for coming in, um, it really makes, I love the live thing. It's all about Run Chat Live. So I do appreciate it. I know everyone's got busy lives and things to watch on TV and kids. So thank you very much, guys, for coming in. And uh, we'll be back next week, same time, same place uh, with Guillaume Millet, who will be talking about neuromuscular fatigue and particularly with regards to distance running because he's a monster at distance running and another giant at research. You do any search on neuromuscular fatigue with distance running and you will see um, Millet GY's initials um, somewhere in the authors there. So very excited to see him. Thanks, people, as always. Take care. Look after each other. I hope those of you return to clinic. Everything's going smooth. Um, and we will see you next week. Thanks very much. And running community, thanks for joining us as well. Always a pleasure to be able to stream to you as well. Thanks. Take care. You're listening to Run Chat Live podcast, putting the evidence back into running injury and performance.